0: Father, we uh, thank you for the gifts you've given us, and we thank you especially for groups like Sonic Flood and musicians who have been just been given uh, these gifts to serve and honor you and to glorify you, and most of all, to proclaim Christ. We thank you for Sonic Flood and their heart for Thailand and their desire to see students and Thai, uh, Thai people come to Christ. And we just pray for this concert on Tuesday, that it would be a real ministry and a real time of, of impact. Uh, we pray for Anita. She has the chance to interview them today at one, that, uh, that it would just be a really good interview and uh, it would get people excited about coming to hear Sonic Flood, but more importantly, that it would open opportunities for the gospel. And we just uh, pray that you would be honored in it. We pray also, Father, that you would you would speak to us this morning. Lord, We uh, we know that you are the only one who can really teach our hearts. And that's what we pray for this morning that by your Spirit, you would speak to us uh, in, in the way that only you and your gentle and yet powerful, loving voice can do. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this morning we are looking at uh, Sexual Purity Part 2. We began this uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 last week, and we're going to, we only made it through basically one verse. So today we're hoping to do two. Actually, we're hoping to do the whole rest of it. Uh, Let me just read the passage as we begin. Beginning in verse 12. Paul writes, You may say, I'm allowed to do anything. But I reply, not everything is good for you. And even though you may say, I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say, food is for the stomach and stomach is for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But our bodies were not made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise our bodies from the dead by his marvelous power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which belongs to Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never! And don't you know that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say, the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Run away from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Um, This is a very relevant um, message for our day, and it was very relevant in, in Paul's day in Corinth because there was a great deal of of sexual temptation and pressure. And as I shared last week, uh, just by way of review, Corinth was the home of the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. There were a thousand temple prostitutes who lived there, and uh, every night they would come into the city of Corinth to uh, evangelize, <laughs> so to speak. And, and for a lot of the people who were believers in, uh, in the church in Corinth, they had been converted out of a lifestyle where it was an everyday or very common practice to engage in, in uh, sex with prostitutes. To make matters uh, worse or more complicated, uh, in in Greek society, this kind of promiscuity was very uh, socially acceptable. It was very uh, open. Uh, the Greeks had a very uh, loose view of sexuality and. Uh, and in fact, it wasn't even considered to be adultery or immoral if you slept with a prostitute. It was only considered adultery if you slept with somebody in your same status or caste. Um, so uh, it was a huge sexual pressure in that day. And, and likewise today, you know, I don't know if I, I'd want to compare necessarily, but the reality is that the world today is very sexually charged. And uh, there are movies, TV shows, uh, Internet, books, magazines... You know, ads, commercials, it's everywhere. And uh, there's a great deal of pressure uh, to, um, to be involved in sexual activity, to be uh, pointed in that direction. And there is tremendous temptation available. And so it's something we have to be prepared for, and as believers, be committed to moral purity, or we'll get run over like a freight train by the expectations of this world. Uh, We talked a little bit last week that um, Paul starts off with his argument by saying, the body is for God and God is for the body. And uh, the important principle is that we don't exist just for sexual pleasure. That is not the end or ultimate goal of all happiness in life. Paul says clearly that the reason we were created both spiritually and physically was for God's benefit. And ultimately, our joy and our satisfaction in life must be found in him alone. Uh, this idea of the world that says the ultimate and happiness and joy is found in sexual pleasure is heresy. In fact, it would really come down to idolatry. Because if you believe that and ascribe to that, you're saying that that would take the place in your life that God would. And Paul says that your body was created for God and God is for the body, that God is to be the ultimate fulfillment in our life of joy and satisfaction and desire. That's not that we can't enjoy sexual pleasure in the context of marriage. But if we want to pursue true joy and fullness and happiness, that must be in God alone first. And the Christians were getting that all mixed up, and in our days, certainly, that's also true. Uh, He goes on in the rest of the passage to give some additional reasons why uh, sexual immorality is just plain stupid. And most of the reasons have to do with us personally. Not only does it affect and mess up uh, our pursuit of joy in God alone, but beyond that, it has damaging effects for us personally. And that's what he talks about in these next few verses. So let's look at these real real quickly, I hope. Um, Starting in verse... Fourteen, uh, verse fifteen. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts or members with Christ? Should a man take his body? And by the way, you know this is not just for men only. Okay, this also applies for women. So should man or women take their bodies and join it in an immoral relationship with a prostitute? Or the word here can apply to any sexual contact outside of marriage, any immoral relationship. Never. Don't you know that if you join yourself to a prostitute, you become one with that person? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. First point is this We as believers have been called into this amazing relationship of oneness with Christ. What it means to be a Christian is not simply that God erases sin. Yeah, we sang about the cross this morning. We talked about redemption. We talk about Jesus dying for our sins, and it's a wonderful thing that Jesus has done that. His blood on the cross has taken away and erased sin. But that's not the end goal of salvation. Jesus didn't just save you so that you could have a blank slate on your, your moral or sin uh, debt chart or bank book. He did it so that you could be in a close personal intimate relationship with him. And it's a, a relationship that's def- described very much in, in marriage terms. And In fact, in Ephesians, Paul talks about our relationship with Christ as being pictured in the marriage relationship where the two become one. Uh, it's really pictured best in one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, in John chapter 15, where Jesus himself describes the goal of, of oneness with him in Christ. Notice what he says. John 15 verse 1. He says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off or lifts up every branch that does not bear fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned for greater fruitfulness by the message, by the word that I have given you. Remain in me and I in you. The idea of remaining is the idea of being one with Christ being in communion and fellowship with him. He says, Remain in me, abide in me. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful apart from me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain, those who walk in this relationship of communion and oneness with Christ, will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who parts from me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers and those branches are put into a pile and burned. But if you stay joined with me and my words are joined and remain in you, you may ask any request you like and it will be granted. My true disciple produces much fruit. This brings great glory to my Father. Okay, so he says there that a key to effective prayer life is being one with Christ. He says if you Have this relationship of communion and oneness with Christ, you can ask anything you want and you'll get it. That's pretty cool stuff. That is awesome stuff to know that we have that kind of access to ask God for anything. And if we have that kind of relationship where we are living in communion and oneness with Christ, we will get it. God wants to bless us. And when we're in communion and union with Him, we pray according to His will and we pray according to His heart. And we can have confidence that God's going to do what we ask. But there's even more. There's even more to our oneness. He goes on to say. <coughs> okay, I can't read it without my glasses on, so. He goes on to say I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. There's that word again. Remain, abide, be one. Live in, get connected with my love. When you obey me, you are remaining in my love, just as I obey my Father and dwell in his love. I have told you this so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. That's what the Christian life is all about. Christian life is not about necessarily keeping laws or rules or being religious or going to church a lot. It is ultimately about being filled with the fullness of Christ to an extent that our lives find ultimate joy, overflowing joy, in being one with Christ. Okay? That's what the Christian life is about. And if you're pursuing anything else in your Christian life, scrap it, ditch it, Okay, burn that part of it, and pursue a life of joy in Christ. Okay? If you don't know what joy in Christ is, you need to, you need to start looking for it. Because okay? the Christian life is not supposed to be a drag or boring or depressing I've talked to a lot of Christians who their Christian life is quite honestly depressing. Okay, That's not what God calls you to. And if you are not experiencing joy, it's probably because you're not understanding and walking in this union we have in Christ that Paul talks about and that Jesus talks about here. He so says, I've done all this, and I have brought you into this union with me where we are together, one, so that you could have joy in your life. So the ultimate desires and satisfactions and happiness of your life would be rooted and anchored in me. You know, We have a lot of people here who are in Christian ministry and in Christian service. And the dangerous thing is that when we're in Christian ministry and Christian service, we get, we get paid to make fruit. Okay, They don't usually pay us to just hang out. They want to see results. And it's really bad when you send back the prayer letters and you say, man, I had this great time of communion with God. People would go, we didn't send you over there to make communion with God. We sent you over there to make grapes. Okay? And so we can get so focused on producing that we think it's somehow our job to make things happen. Well, Jesus said it doesn't work that way. He says, I will produce the fruit in you. Your job is communion with me. So we need, we need, we get, We're a twig, and we get focused on the wrong end of the twig. We get focused on the, the fruit bearing end. We need to focus on the root end. It's connected with Christ, and that's where it's at, and uh, that's what the Christian life is about. And that is, is one of the things that is most seriously affected, and why sexual morality is so crucial. Because Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that that oneness with Christ is seriously compromised when we engage in sexual immorality. He says, You are one with Christ, you are a member of Christ, you are a part with Christ. And he makes it clear that our our oneness with Christ is spiritual. Okay? We don't have some kind of physical oneness with Christ. Okay? It's very much spiritual. But the reality is that we are a human being that's comprised of body, spirit, soul, mind, emotions, will, and it's all packaged together in one very connected part. Okay? And it's not like we can say, okay, Jesus, you can have my spirit and all this spiritual union with you over here and I'll take my body and I'll be involved in sexual immorality over here because they're not connected. It's not true. Our spirit lives inside our body. Wherever our spirit goes, our body goes. Actually, it's the other way around pretty much. Wherever our body goes, our spirit goes. And when we take our body and we involve it in impure or immoral things, we take that spirit that is one with Christ along with us. And in fact, Paul paints this picture of really taking, dragging Christ with us because we are one with him. Um, When we, Paul, Paul says, how can you think of doing this? You who are one with Christ, how can you think of taking what belongs to Christ, our body, that is united with him and joining it in an immoral relationship? He says, you are dragging Christ into the mud. Now, of course, Christ never sins. Uh, when we sin, we don't cause Jesus to sin. And I'm not sure I understand all of the implications of this. But the reality is that, that Jesus does go with us wherever we go. Uh, and it's, this oneness in Christ is not something that we need to aspire to by more prayer or more diligent, pious you know, work by fasting and, and, and praying and searching, the reality is that Paul says you are one with Christ. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you have been united with Christ. In other writings of Paul, he makes this more clear, that conversion, salvation, being baptized into Christ, is becoming one with him. And so Jesus is with us wherever we go. So here's a good test for if something is appropriate or not. We are in, in union with Christ. We are. This body belongs to him. And wherever this body goes, Jesus follows. Okay? So here's the thing. This past week, what have you done that you'd be terribly embarrassed to know that Jesus was standing right beside you when you did it? Okay, whatever it was, it was bad if you're embarrassed that Jesus might have been there. And the reality is, Jesus is there. He is present with us. So when we, uh, if we go to a movie, you know, you've got to think about this. If I'm watching this movie, I'm watching this DVD, Jesus is sitting right next to me. Is there anything that I have to go? Jesus, don't watch this. Okay, this will be kind of embarrassing for you. Okay, if it's embarrassing for you, then it's going to be embarrassing for me. Okay, because he goes with us. Um, uh, it goes for uh, you know activities, places we go, people we hang out with, things that we engage in. Jesus is with us if we're truly his children. If we're truly walking with Christ, he's there. And we are taking him along with us as we participate in these things. So, what things in our life would we not be really crazy about? Here's another good question, y'all. You know, like, like, you know, would you drag your mom or dad there? Well, Jesus is even, you know, more holy, more righteous, and more seriously entwined in our life. Would you want him to see what you are doing? Would you want him to be involved? Uh, when you go on the internet, Are there pages that you look at that you go, Jesus, you know, I'd rather rather if you turn your back on this one. Because he's there, he's watching, he's seeing. In a sense, he is participating in all that you do. Okay? And so Paul says, you know, how could you think of doing this? How could you think of dragging Jesus with you? And especially in terms of sexual immorality. Um, Now, people might say, well, you know, it says here, sleeping with a prostitute. You know, I I have kind of an immoral life, but I'm not sleeping with a prostitute. I'm having sex with my girlfriend. We may not be married yet, but, you know, we're married in our hearts. We love each other. So certainly this passage does not apply to us. Wrong. It applies to you. The word here, prostitute, is the word pornea. And it really covers any kind of sexually... Inappropriate or immoral behavior. Now in Corinth, the issue was prostitution. And for these guys, the temptation and the problem was these temple prostitutes that would fill the city. But Paul's talking here about any inappropriate relationship. Okay, if you are not married and you are involved in some kind of sexual activity with somebody who is not your wife, it's sin. Okay, you are not married in your heart. As my friend Mark Driscoll says, you're married in your pants. Okay, God does not recognize that union. Okay, He is not honored by it. Okay. I didn't say that, to Mark Driscoll, but you can blame him. Um, in in Corinth, this is kind of the attitude and the thing that was going on there. Uh, it was a huge temptation. It was a part of, of of culture that they actually believed, as I said, that that prostitution was a great great way to. Uh, prevent adultery okay? and it's amazing how we can rationalize and justify things if we want them bad enough and the Greek, the Greek mindset they had said well because prostitutes are basically slaves or low lives sleeping them with them isn't really adultery, it would only be adultery if I sleep with an equal okay? you know, so here's a great line honey I know this is hard I don't really want to do this but I'm doing it to save our marriage right? no no same way we can lie to ourselves and let Satan convince us that we love each other, you know, we're going to get married, da-da-da-da. It's inappropriate if it's not in the context and bounds of a married covenant relationship. Uh, If you want to be involved sexually, then make the promise of that public. That's what marriage is. There are people who argue likewise and say that, well, we slept together, so we're married anyway. That's not true. Marriage involves a covenant relationship before God that's made public before some institution, like the government, the church, some body that recognizes it. Okay? If you have slept with someone, you are not married to them. Okay? You are not compelled to get married to them, okay, if it's not the right thing. Okay, so don't let Satan lie to you about that. Uh, Marriage is a covenant relationship where you pledge to commit to that person for life. And because of the volatility of the sexual relationship, because of, as we'll talk in a moment, some of the things that happen to us emotionally when we become sexually involved with a person, God has put a very careful fence around that wonderful gift. And the fence is called a marriage relationship. And it must be preserved and protected within that relationship outside of that covenant relationship, it's ultimately selfish and it's sinful. Okay, you don't say, well, if you really love me, you'll sleep with me. No, if you really love me, you would care about me and you would honor what God has said is pure and righteous in his sight. And the bottom line is, as he says, you're dragging Jesus into this. You are causing Jesus to be a participant in this immoral, relationship. Another uh, reason that it's, it's bad, and this is, again, something that affects us. First, it affects our oneness, our unity with Christ. Secondly, uh, it really is a matter of dishing out pieces of our heart. Paul says that one of the reasons you don't want to join yourself in an immoral relationship is because those two become one flesh. And the word that's used there is a word uh, that literally means to glue something together. Okay, there's something about uh, sexual union that acts like glue. Okay? It joins together. It is a powerful glue that joins to much more than just skin. It actually glues hearts. It glues our souls together with another person. It's interesting, recently um, in psychology, they've done a lot of research and study on attachment theory. And it's something that I have been involved with and I uh, study and am very fascinated by and they've discovered that with babies, that babies attach or form a bond to an adult through contact. The little baby's born, the mom you know picks it up, holds it, says, oh, isn't it cute, little shrivelly thing, you know? And she loves this little thing. And she touches it and she strokes it, she feeds it, she nurtures it, she makes eye contact, she talks to it. And they've discovered that that forms a powerful permanent bond in the life of this infant. In fact, it's a vital bond that's necessary for the child to grow up as a normal human being. Uh, Our ability to have successful relationships with other human beings depends on that first primary relationship and attachment. Conscience is formed through that attachment. And over months, as this baby grows and is held and nurtured and touched and caressed and loved by a caring adult, it forms a strong, permanent attachment well, they've also discovered that that same process really happens in many human relationships. That physical touch is a powerful bonding agent. And there's nothing more powerful or more bonding than sexual union. Uh, it, it does more than just give us pleasure. It connects us to another person. Um, through that touching, through that contact, uh, we, in a sense, get our hearts glued to another person um, and here 's the deal as we, as we grow older and we, we, we engage in, in touching, uh, kissing, caressing, nurturing we kind of do the same thing that happens to this baby and we find ourselves connected with this other person. the more touching, the more intimate the more personal, the deeper and stronger that bond of glue is. Um, A lot of people do not understand this principle and greatly disregard it. And they think that they can be involved in sexual relationships that it won't affect them personally or emotionally, but it's not true. And here's the the reality. Anytime you take something that's glued together and you pull it apart, what happens? It rips. It tears chunks of the original out with it. Same thing is true in sexual union. You know, you have a girlfriend. You think, guys, oh, is the love of my life. You sleep with them a few times. You're you know, making out all the time. You're caressing, touching, holding, connecting. All of a sudden they dump you, or you dump them, or you move 12,000 miles apart. Something gets ripped out of your heart when you do that. Okay, something goes with that relationship when it breaks. And the reality is, Paul says, for your own... Ooh, there's like things flying... Yes, guess I want to be careful, there's a ball about to come through that window. <laughs> um, when, you, when you break and sever that relationship, you rip out a small piece of your heart and you don't get it back. And Paul says God put these boundaries in a, around because he understood this powerful force that he created and designed. Um, Number three, third thing. He says that ultimately you don't want to do this because you're ultimately sinning against your own body. Uh, The reality is that along with these attachment issues, bonding issues, other issues, not handling this and, and, and respecting sexual purity ultimately violates yourself. It damages and wounds you personally, physically, emotionally. It's a sin against our own bodies, Paul says. Um, this is what happens. For people who disregard this and who, who have been very sexually active, for example, uh, a, your body can't cope with this, so it creates defense mechanisms to protect itself. First defense mechanism is, is detachment. If I keep attaching myself, if I keep gluing myself to another person, and they keep ripping out pieces of my heart, pretty soon I'm going, that really hurts. So what we start to do is we start to disengage and detach ourselves from people. Uh, They've done studies with prostitutes where this is physically and visibly seen, where in order to survive in this industry, what they have to do is detach themselves from the experience. For them, sex is a job. It becomes shallow and empty and meaningless. And the truth is that for people who give away uh, and and walk in sexual immorality, the same thing will will happen in your own heart. To protect the pain in your own heart, you will start to become detached and distanced from the experience. Paul saying, you know, God created this to be a wonderful thing to be enjoyed in a marriage and covenant relationship. He wants it to be ultimately fulfilling and satisfying. But if you make it cheap and easy and meaningless, it becomes cheap and easy and meaningless. It becomes empty and it loses its significance and worth because you have to detach yourself from the experience to save your heart. Another effect is that it brings, uh, especially for believers who know better, it will bring guilt and shame. And those things will affect you physically and personally. You will carry around the scars and the guilt for many years. And even though we know that God forgives, the reality is I have counseled with people... Who were dealing with things that happened 30 and 40 years ago that still turn their life inside out? Because it, it's not that easy. It's not that simple. These kind of sins affect us, Paul says, against our own body, deep in the very core of our being. And it seems so. Uh, it seems so simple. The world makes it seem so harmless, but it is not it has serious consequences that will affect our whole life. Now, here's one way to look at it. You know, most of you, if you're in high school or college, most of you will be married, and if you are, you will probably be married far longer than you will be single. You get married when you're 20 years old, let's say 25 years old, you you become like, you know, at the age where you would be sexual, say when you're 15, you know, you get married when you're 25, that's 10 years of singleness, okay? then for 50 years you'll be married. Now here's the question. Do you want to enjoy 10 years of you know, sowing wild oats and having a good time and have 50 years of really bad sex in your marriage? Or do you want to protect those 10 years so you can have 50 years of great sex in marriage? Which do you want? Okay, it's just numbers, right? And it's true. The reality is, studies have shown that up to 75% of couples who were sexually active before they were married have sexual problems in their marriage. Up to 75%. Now I know, you know, if you're out there, you're thinking, oh, I'm not going to be one of those statistics. I'm better than that. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll pray for you. Okay? And it's not to say that God can't forgive, that God, God's grace isn't bigger than that. But God created the universe to work and operate in a certain way. And when we violate its laws... Grace does not rescue us from all the effects. If you jump off a building, you know, God may forgive you for stupidity, but it's still going to really hurt when you hit the ground. same thing is true if you violate these laws that God has put in place around our heart and our soul in terms of sexual purity. He says you ultimately are sinning against your own body. And he says finally in, in in light of all this, don't you know that your body is a temple and that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you? That is true for every single person who has put their faith and trust in Christ. He says it is a done deal. If you know Jesus, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives and dwells and abides in you. Okay, whether, you, whether or not you pray or worship or you know, read your Bible, it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And you are a temple. And it should be treated as a holy place. And of course the applications for this go far beyond moral purity. It goes really for everything that we do and use our body for. We engage our mind and our activities and our life in a way that, that honors this temple. You know, Do we fix it up and dress it and, and display it in a way that honors this temple? Okay, because the Holy Spirit lives here. God gave you His very Spirit. Jesus said, I must leave so that I can send the Comforter and He will come to you and He will teach you and guide you and live in you. And we have this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and as such we become a holy temple of God. So we must be, be conscious of that and not dishonor that temple. Uh, last thing that he says about our body. He says, finally, your body does not belong to you. You have been purchased at a great price. Bottom line is, you know, the the great slogan of the day is, it's my body, I'll do what I want with it. Right? That's the the slogan of the modern world. It's my body, I'll own it. Nobody's going to tell me what to do with my body. Well, Well, Paul says, you know, if you're a Christian... It's not your body. OK, it belongs to God, so quit, quit messing it up. Okay, it doesn't belong to you. Jesus purchased it at a great price. And the picture that, it's word, the, the Greek word that's used there, is the idea of purchasing something in a market, and has the idea of a slave market where slaves would be put up on the auction block, and you were expensive. Okay, the good news is you are not cheap. you were expensive. Okay? Jesus had to pay with his very own life's blood and life to purchase you.
1: He owns you.
0: Okay? You are not free to do with your life whatever you want. You are his property. And he can do with you what he pleases. Uh, this is kind of crude, but some people believe that this really may have been what Paul was driving at. The word could also be really be used for purchasing a prostitute. And the idea is that, you know, Paul's saying, you know, you want to go out and purchase prostitutes. The reality is, you are purchased property. And God has the right to do with you what he will. Now, what does God want to do with you? He wants to wreck your life and make it miserable, right? He doesn't want you to have any fun. He doesn't want you to enjoy, you know, sex or people or have fun, right? That's what God wants for your life, right? Amen. No! God wants to fill your life with joy. Right, God's heart and desires that you would be full of joy, and He says here simply and plain. He says that therefore you are are not yours; God bought you. Therefore, you need to glorify God in your body. And I love this definition of um, what what it means to glorify God. Uh, This comes from International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. It says to make someone renowned or rendered illustrious, to cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifest and acknowledged. Everything we do should, should highlight the wonder and majesty and glory of God. Our bodies, our life, everything about us are to reflect like the moon reflects the brilliance of the sun. Our life is to reflect the brilliance of the Son of God. Now, this is uh, important to make this distinction. It's very tempting to think, well, I'm going to glorify God by being super Christian, by, by taking the Pharisaic approach and, and proving to God what a good, righteous, spiritual person I am. That does not glorify God. God is not glorified by how hard you work at being a good Christian. That's not what it's about. He is glorified by how much you pursue that oneness with Christ. He is glorified in our lives when He truly is one in us, where the power of His Spirit, the power of His Word, the life flowing up of Christ within us so fills us that we overflow with His glory and joy. You know, ultimately, I think we are glorified when we are people who are truly joyful. There's nothing, you know, taking and robbing glory away than Glory away from God. And people who are just miserable. You know, Christians who are worn out, tired, depressed, angry, you know, miserable, hating their Christian life. It It doesn't shine a lot of glory on God. You know, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, it's the worst thing that ever happened to me. I hate it. I'm a missionary because I love God. And I'm so excited. And I can't wait to go home. You know, it just doesn't really sell much. Okay, it doesn't really make people want to sign up. Well, where can I sign up for that job? Right? We ultimately will glorify God when our life is filled with and overflowing with joy. How do we do that? Well, we've got to do that through pursuing this, this union, communion, fellowship with Christ. And then God produces the fruit. Okay? And it's not to say that sometimes life is not hard, and certainly, you know, I'm one who gets discouraged easily. But the reality is when we focus on that oneness with Christ, God produces this amazing fruit we didn't even have anything to do with. A lot of times it just bubbles out of our life in spite of ourselves. And God is glorified in the midst of it. Last thing. Those are the effects. Those are the reasons that we are to be... um, sexually pure, committed to sexual purity. So how do we do that? What do we need to do to pursue sexual purity? Well, he says it in one simple word. Run! Run, Forrest, run. You know the the Forrest Gump movie? Okay? You're about to get beat up. Run, Forrest, run! Just run! Okay? It's just that simple. He says, just run from sexual temptation. That's all there is to it. There's no magic formula. You know... Don't pray. Don't go read about it. Run. Okay? That means distance yourself as quickly as possible. That's what running is. Running means putting lots of space between you and something else quickly. Okay? That's running. Standing is not running. Okay? So if you're in front of a magazine rack full of, you know, naked girls, standing is not running. Running is running. Right? You leave. You go away. You put as much space between you and that as possible as fast as you can. It pops up on your computer. I hate this. You know, at our office, all of a sudden, randomly, stuff starts just popping up, you know. Um, Girls, on your computer. He says, run. Don't click. Don't stare. Staring is not running. (coughs) Running is running. Hey, click it. Close it. Get rid of it. Run. Movies. Uh, You know, there's tons of movies. You almost can't watch a movie now without some kind of sexual content, sexual stuff, You know, if this stuff affects you, puts thoughts and feelings in your mind, don't watch it. Run. Okay? Especially don't buy the DVD and, like, watch it again. And, like, hit the pause button. Okay? That's not running. The fast forward, that would be running. Okay? The pause button would be stopping. Okay? Run. Um, If you're dating, you're in a relationship, it's rapidly becoming too physical, run. Run okay it's all he says just run okay a 45 minute goodnight kiss is not running okay that would be staying run you know a handshake goodbye you're out of there okay alright um, the reality is you know we've got to understand that we are playing with hand grenades you know you've seen these stories these little kids in the jungles that find these old grenades and they don't know what it is and they're playing throwing it around checking it tossing it And I've talked to too many people who say, oh, I'm strong. I can handle it. I can play with grenades. Nobody can play with grenades. If it goes off, it kills you. Okay? If you think you're strong enough to handle sexual temptation, then one of two things is true. Either, number one, you really are strong enough because you run, because you put up clear boundaries and fences in your life so that you don't get close (coughs) to those things. You don't play with grenades. That's why you're not tempted. Okay? Or the other reality is the other person. You're only a person who thinks you can play with grenades and so you do. And the reality is they keep going up and you keep landing in these explosions of disaster where you fall and you sin and Satan blasts you because you're not as strong as you think you are. Okay, God invented this stuff. He knows how explosive it is. That's why he warns us to take it Seriously. And Paul says there's only one response. There's only one answer. There's only one solution, and that's to run. We need to teach our eyes and our brain to run. You know, when your mind starts drifting to fantasies and desires and to lust, you've got to teach your brain to run. Okay, it starts in our mind. That's the first place where we've got to win this battle. Don't let your mind linger on these thoughts and these things and these fantasies. Run. Don't go there mentally. You need to teach your eyes to run. Okay, you find yourself staring at something you shouldn't, you need to teach your eyes to run. And it's really quick and easy with your eyes, just look the other direction. Okay, you've got to teach yourself to run. Uh, and this goes for a person, it doesn't matter if you're you know, 13 or 93, the reality is that sexual temptation can be an issue for anybody at any age, married or single, doesn't matter. Men or women Paul says if you want to be committed to this the only thing to do is to run be a Joseph you know Joseph uh, Joseph kept his track shoes on and uh, when he was with Potiphar's wife and she's making advances you know he ditched the robe but he kept his track shoes on and he ran he didn't think about it he didn't think God what should I do he ran and that's how we we need to be people who live with our track shoes on you need to sleep with them on. Always. You have your tractors on. Always be ready to run uh, from sin. Especially from sexual temptation. Don't even let it become something that you toy with. And where people get in trouble is they play with it. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go sleep with the process, I'm not gonna get involved in sexual immorality. I'm just I just I'm just curious. That's not running either. <laughs> Curiosity is not running. Running is running. Don't let those things trap us. Because ultimately, it's God's temple. It's our oneness with Christ. It's our own body that we damage and sin against when we don't take this seriously. We live in a world where it is everywhere. We live in a country where it is everywhere. And I've seen it happen far too many times with, with, with guys who should know better, who end up in immoral relationships over and over again because they did not take this seriously. And it wrecks their life. It wrecks their own body. It destroys their families and their children. Okay, Don't mess around with this. Let's pray. Father, we know that, um, that within this room there, there uh, likely are people who, who are not running, who have been very much snared and trapped by this sin and at some level are involved in some kind of sexually immoral behavior. And Father, if that's true, then I pray right now that, that they would be pierced by your Spirit and your Word. And Lord, we thank you that you do not condemn us. You don't hold us over our head and beat us up. You invite us to confess and repent, to turn from this this powerful bondage of Satan in our life and to find forgiveness and freedom in Christ. And by the working of your spirit to pursue joy in you alone, to pursue a relationship with you that so fills our life so fills this temple, we can't imagine defiling it with the junk of this world. So so Lord, I pray that right now you would just speak to our hearts. And Lord, if we need to confess and repent, and Lord, we, we want to do that right this moment. It is sin. It violates you. It dishonors you and Father we confess it as something that that is a grave sin and Father we at the same time want to commit firmly in our life from our thoughts and our eyes and our mind to our bodies to every part of our being to run and flee from sexual immorality from youthful lust as Paul says and to commit our lives to using our bodies for the glory of God to manifest the majesty and wonder and love of the amazing God of the universe who redeemed us. Father, that's our heart's desire, and we commit our lives to you and to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.